0: British Prime Minister Rishi Sunak and European Commission President Ursula van der Leyen will meet today to sign a new agreement on the Northern Ireland Protocol after months and months of negotiations. The spotlight will now turn to the DUP, whose leader Jeffrey Donaldson must decide if he should back the deal and restore the storm and power sharing institutions. Now, joining me to talk about all of this is Amanda Ferguson, Northern Ireland correspondent and she'll also bring us up to speed on the latest on the John Caldwell uh, shooting. But First, Dominic Grieve, Barrister, former Attorney-General for England and Wales. Uh, Good morning and welcome. Good morning. Now, uh, Dominic, as you understand it, is the deal done?
1: It looks as if the deal is done. Uh, I think it would be most surprising if uh, Ursula van der Leyen and uh, the Prime Minister were meeting, unless, in fact, the the deal had been finalised and he's willing to sign it.
0: So, uh, can you tell us who may have blinked and how severely they blinked in order to get this across the line.
1: I'd rather hope that neither side has felt the need to blink. I think that that's a rather wrong approach to these negotiations. It's quite clear that there were serious problems with the protocol. The reality is that the protocol should never have been signed by Boris Johnson in uh, 2019. And his decision to do that was uh, taken, well, it was sold on an entirely false prospectus. Parliament and to the Unionist community in Northern Ireland. Uh, It wasn't fit to be signed, but it was Johnson's way out of his difficulties in wanting to force Brexit at a time when Parliament was obstructing him, and that's the basic reason why he did it. Uh, and we've been living with the consequences. So I don't think it's a question of somebody blinking uh, because that suggests an oppositional position between the EU and the United Kingdom that shouldn't be there. Uh, as both sides are committed to the Good Friday Belfast Agreement, it's absolutely essential that it should be made to work the protocol in a way that is in line with the intentions behind that agreement. And that requires, insofar as it's humanly possible, frictionless trade, both across the Irish Sea from Northern Ireland to the Great Britain and also north-south.
0: Yeah. Now, the the, the question of what changed, and obviously the PM changed uh, twice in short order, uh, but uh, clearly good faith entered the equation at some point when Rishi Sunak became Prime Minister.
1: Yes, because the reality is that Boris Johnson was not trusted, and for good reason, <laughs> because he's somebody who tells lots of lies. So he's an impossible person to do business with. And uh, so the goodwill had completely evaporated during his time as prime minister. And the arrival of, even actually of Liz Truss, who initiated this, uh, but then of Rishi Sunak, has made a significant difference, as I think many of us hoped it would. Uh, So there's clearly the capacity for a meeting of minds. There appears to be, in so far as it's been reported, uh, a sensible negotiation. And I very much hope that the details of this, when they finally become available, once it's been signed, uh, will will be persuasive, not only in the United Kingdom and in Ireland, but also obviously in Northern Ireland and amongst Northern Ireland Mm. unionists.
0: Now, does it require Rishi Sunak to face down the ERG? What are they likely to do uh, because they can... You know, stay with him if they can find a logic in accepting what he's done or they can set themselves apart and, uh, you know, once again become the opposite, the the disloyal opposition within the Tory party. Uh,
1: The ERG clearly have the capacity to be wreckers. They can't actually stop this deal going through because it's quite clear that both the Labour Party and the Liberal Democrats will support it. So if there were to be a significant rebellion by members of the ERG, uh, if it goes through Parliament, uh, they are likely to lose. Uh, Then the question is, what do they want to do next? Uh, Do they want to bring Rishi Sunak's government down and precipitate a general election? Well, it's possible that they could do that, and they might have the numbers to do that. But it is writing their own suicide note. Um, if they decide to do that in view of the current state of the Conservative Party in the opinion polls, so I actually think that Rishi Sunak has got is in rather a powerful position on this. The problem is a fundamental one in the Conservative Party, which is that it has split effectively into two. Admittedly, one is a minority faction, but a very powerful one with a a reliance on the membership, which takes some diametrically different views about international engagement from the mainstream. And as long as that continues, the Conservative Party is going to find it very
0: difficult to govern. Um, Do you believe that Rishi Sunak is effectively immune from uh, attack until the next election, that one way or the other he will lead them into the the next election?
1: Well, I'd be very surprised if he didn't. Um, He's not immune from attack and other things might go wrong. But on this particular issue, while I don't think that the ERG have the numbers to prevent it going through parliament. Uh, I think that there will be quite a large number of Conservative MPs who frankly had enough of the ERG's antics and think that they are effectively causing massive problems to the United Kingdom and pursuing an argument which is sterile and pointless. And I just don't think that they're going to be swayed by Boris Johnson's most recent rhetoric, calling for pressing on with uh, a piece of legislation in Parliament which is not going to solve the problem and is a breach of international law.
0: Mm. Uh, Does he have to bring this new deal to Parliament? I mean, it would be probably nice for the democratic look of things that he did, but... Does he have to, legally?
1: Well, I think think in reality, in one way or another, he does. Uh, It is an international treaty. Um, uh, It may have knock-on consequences for United Kingdom law. And to that extent, uh, it may be, I think, will be necessary for there to be some legislation on it. In the UK Parliament, but in any event, there is bound to be a debate. There is bound to be a vote uh, to approve it. So, for those reasons, he can't he can't avoid having this matter debated in the House of Commons. So, on that basis. If uh, the ERG wish to make a noise about it, they will have an opportunity to do so.
0: Yeah. Now, is it possible they will simply abstain? And uh, and what would the consequences be for them if they did not uh, support presumably there'll be a three-line whip in in action? Uh, what would happen to them if they did abstain? I mean, Rishi Sunak might say, well they didn't vote against me anyway we'll, we'll, we'll let them be uh, or would he have to punish? Well, uh, I
1: Having seen the behaviour of Johnson in expelling me and 21 other members of the Conservative Party from it back in 2019, I don't suppose that they really have much of a leg to stand on in arguing that they might not be thrown out if they breach a three-line whip. But I suspect that won't happen. Uh, I think a lot of them are quite realistic. And I think the power of the ERG is probably on the wane anyway. So for all those reasons, uh, there may be some who vote against it. uh, There may be some who abstain. um, But I suspect that from Rishi Sunak's point of view, uh, as long as there is a reasonable expectation that after this is over, everybody is going to come together again on other subjects. Uh, If I were in his position, I'd just let them do it and they'd just forget about it.
0: Mm. Um, I presume you're not a man to say, I told you so, but you could be saying this every day about Brexit. I mean, (laughs) it has really gone tragically wrong for the United Kingdom.
1: Yes, it has. And it was entirely predictable. And I'm afraid it was entirely predicted, including by myself. I can't think of... Anything that's happened that we didn't highlight was likely to happen, including the consequences uh, for Northern Ireland, which have been, to my mind, damaging and wholly unnecessary. But I'm afraid that's the price of folly. Uh, The only good thing in all this is that I think the folly is beginning to subside. And with time, I think that we will get back onto a much better relationship with the European Union. Uh, Exactly what form that takes. It's difficult to too early to say at the moment. But I I sense that we are gradually turning the corner. And if Rishi Sunak can lay this particular ghost um, in the in the next few weeks, he will have done a very good uh,
0: thing for our country. Finally, Dominic, uh, and I'll be talking to Amanda about uh, Northern Ireland specifically in a moment, but the DUP in Westminster, I mean, in in a sense at the moment, they have no power because of the numbers game. Um, What mischief might they make?
1: I hope they won't make mischief. Uh, it's very difficult. I've, I've always found it slightly hard to understand the DUP's strategy. I appreciate they're a unionist party, something I, I share with them and have sympathy with, but I've often found it difficult to understand how they feel at promoting unionism by some of the actions they've taken. Um, clearly, in view of the nature of the Good Friday Belfast Agreement, it is going to be necessary for there to be continuing links between Northern Ireland uh, 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 and, and uh, and 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 Ireland, and that requires no border, and that requires effectively that Northern Ireland is going to remain in the single market, which has some economic advantages for them. Now, I'm sympathetic to the point that interference between Great Britain, Northern Ireland trade was unacceptable and indeed it was inherent in the original protocol and they were entitled to be very upset about that. But they had been warned by people like me that they were going to be sold down the river by Boris Johnson and they didn't listen. But now that we've got on to a stable footing which would appear to absolutely require only minimal checks – I think it's got to be lived with. But I just hope that they feel able to support. it.
0: I I remember that expression that was uh, going the rounds when Boris Johnson was accused by everyone of cakeism, wanting to have his cake and to eat it. Well, Northern Ireland has got cakeism. You know, it has access to the UK market and access to the single market. So if it's, you know, if the DUP could stand back for a moment, they would realise that they're going to enjoy a lot of cake.
1: Well, I think they are potentially are going to do so. I can see the situation where large numbers of UK, Great Britain located businesses relocate to Belfast um, and, uh, and create a, a potentially an economic growth, which they might find extraordinarily helpful for Northern Ireland's future.
0: Dominic Grieve, Barrister, former Attorney General for England and Wales. Thank you very much. Listening to that conversation, Amanda Ferguson and Northern Ireland correspondent. Amanda, Good morning. Now, can you tell us uh, locally what is being said? We heard a contribution on our news headlines from Ben Lowry saying, you know, it's not just the DUP, but it's a broader family of unionism who have concerns.
2: Yes that's right Uh, and it's not even just unionists that have concerns Um, all of the non-unionist parties will want to see the detail of the deal as will the business community in Northern Ireland I think it's likely that we'll get some sort of holding statement from the DUP um, and then if there's an opportunity in the Commons Sir Geoffrey might pop up there and also we know that there are a few MPs in the DUP that are quite uh, fond of solo runs so you might see someone like Sammy Wilson the Sandrum uh, MP popping up. Uh, There is a lot at stake here and if it doesn't restore Stormant, then what has been the point of it? But uh, it, it's difficult sometimes to see how we can s- sort of square the circle whenever it comes to the to the role of the ECJ because Sammy Wilson was doing interviews yesterday saying that Northern Ireland should not be governed by laws made outside the UK. There should be no EU law uh, applying to Northern Ireland. Now, the, the UK government accepts that the ECJ has a role, uh, but what that amounts to is, is going mm. to be um, the devil will be in the detail, as they say. You know, will it involve independence? arbitration or a role for Northern Ireland no. courts or what circumstances would matters yeah. go to the ECJ?
0: Yeah, because if you flip that coin, uh, why would Europe subject itself to the courts in Northern Ireland, for example, uh, it wouldn't because that would be a one-sided uh, court. Uh, you know, with all respect to the uh, objectivity of judges and so on, it's still, it still would not uh, flow. But um, just a, a suspicion that many of us would have perhaps a cynicism that this is not really about the protocol at the end of the day. Uh, restoring the institutions would mean that uh, the DUP occupy the role of deputy first minister rather than first minister. And that is a difficult thing to swallow for them because it would mark the eclipse, uh, at least uh, in this post-election period, of unionism by Sinn Féin.
2: Well, the, the May uh, Assembly election undoubtedly delivered an historic result You know, for the first time in the North's history uh, and an Irish Republicans at the very top of government however we do know the joint the joint minister office, the first minister and deputy first minister is a joint role, one doesn't exist without the other, but it's a psychological uh, impact. Now I was one of the first reporters to ask questions about this and, and various uh, Stormont sources were indicating to me that they did feel that it was a problem for the DUP, I think the DUP's probably divided on that particular issue, however publicly they have said time and again this has got nothing to do with with that if if the protocol gets resolved we'll be back in tomorrow. The problem for the DUP is that the proof's in the pudding so they have a really bad sort of presentational problem at the moment that increasing numbers of people just don't believe them whenever they say out loud that that their problem isn't being deputy to uh, Michelle O'Neill being first minister and there's only one way to test that and that's getting back to government and that may not necessarily flow from whatever comes next because the the seven tests as the DUP described them that they've set out it's essentially what the, the UK government had said previously relayed back to them and they're open to interpretation some some broad some specific you yeah. don't know what might satisfy but there
0: it. There is one element and on it's so the clause that they invoke all the time some of the others can be sorted out but the idea of being treated absolutely the same in trade Uh, and matters of trade as uh, the rest of the United Kingdom thereby might hang the problem.
2: Well, the, the what's being proposed uh, with the, the green lanes and the red lanes does sound as if it could be something that works. The goods that are coming into Northern Ireland only go into the green lane and aren't checked and the goods that are going to go into the Republic of Ireland and the EU go into the red lane and they are checked. It's hard to see how you could argue uh, with something like that. No, the but it, they would have to the, be,
0: you know, doing something similar. Maybe they do on the south coast of England, stuff coming in from France, etc. You know, so if they did that, then they could argue... It's the same system. One is in Belfast, the others in Dover or Calais.
2: Well, you know, this is the thing about about this protocol issue. It's not just about trade; it's about the political side and what unionists view as the protocol being constitutionally damaging to Northern Ireland's place in the UK. Essentially, what they're saying is it's about restoring sovereignty and it's about fixing what they describe as a democratic deficit. Essentially, the fact that Northern Ireland would have no say over laws that it's gov- governed by and. They can there, there can be an over-egging of, of the constitutional implications of the protocol because the Good Friday Agreement is very clear that regardless of where trade flows or how easy it is to to move goods between Belfast and Dublin or Belfast and London, Northern Ireland is part of the United Kingdom unless people vote for different in a border poll. And we're a little bit off that yeah. uh, particular scenario yet. So also as well, something that should be pointed out, Pat, which is overlooked a lot. If you look at the recent polling that came from Queen's University as, as uh, recently as Friday... The protocol is not uh, a main issue of concern for most people in Northern Ireland now it is an issue of concern for for most unionists but it's not for most voters they have more pressing policy uh, concerns around health and education and jobs and opportunity and so on so I know that today is being talked up as you know getting Brexit done and the big deal day and the final talks but it's not uh, it doesn't necessarily equate that the restoration of storm is going to flow from that immediately and the DUP as to use an Ulster Scots word are quite a strand bunch uh, and they do like to say no before they say yes so it's not over just yet and you know when it comes to the north that uh, stories tend to never end so we'll see what happens
0: Now Amanda, um, a story that unfortunately is never ending is that of violence and particularly violence against the security forces Uh, John Caldwell struggling uh, for his life after that attack the new IRA has purportedly claimed responsibility they signed um, some missive T. O'Neill, now the provost used to use P. O'Neill, they have uh, decided to use T. O'Neill Uh, to indicate an official communication. What more can you tell us?
2: Yes, there was a type statement appeared in in Derry last night um, came in to be from the new IRA saying that they were responsible for uh, the attempted murder attack on on DCI John Caldwell and um, that has has lar- large it's been reported but uh, it isn't really being focused on and I think that uh, people are very aware that while John Caldwell is in a stable condition in hospital he is heavily sedated he's not out of the woods just yet I think what's going to happen is that they're going to need to see how he responds to the trauma that suffered whenever they finally do uh, bring him around, but the police are, are throwing everything at this uh, investigation and, and we know that six men uh, are are in custody at the moment aged between 22 and 71 so it shows you the age range of people mm. who are suspected of being part of this attack, people who would have absolutely no knowledge of the conflict or the troubles, however you want to describe it, and people who should really know better and who are a lot older from other generations. So I think the there's been a couple of different sort of extensions applied for uh, from police uh, to extend the period with uh, in which they can question uh, the men that are involved in this the latest one being one of the men the 43 year old an extension was granted until tuesday to question him however because these uh, people have been uh, in, uh, have been arrested under the terrorism act the the short explanation is that they can be held to, for up to 28 days without being charged no. now, various extensions would need to be applied for at different levels of courts uh, but that's the the quick answer around that one
0: Amanda Ferguson, thank you very much uh, for uh, joining us. The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance. Weekdays at 9 a.m. on News Talk.